This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. One. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dojo Live. I'm Tulio Sergusa, broadcasting from Southern California. And today is Wednesday, October 27th, 2021. Another month's almost gone by already. And we have joining us today a very special guest from Northern California, Dave Landa, who's the CEO of Kintone. And of course, joined by my co-host, Carlos Ponce in Cuernavaca, Mexico. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show today. Pleasure to be here as ever, Tulio. Yeah, great uh, great to be here. Thanks so much. So we're going to be talking about trust and empowerment and inclusion today. Uh, very timely topic, very important topics. And uh, we're looking forward to having this conversation for the next 20 to 30 minutes. And we want to invite you all watching to join us. If you have questions, okay. you can question submit those questions at Dojo Live on Twitter. We will look at those questions and post them for our guests. Uh, before we get started with the topic today, Dave, would you please just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Tulio. Yeah, Dave Landa. Uh, I'm currently the CEO of Kintone Corporation, but I think, uh, you know, in general, from a personal perspective, I, I tend to be a bit of an adventurer. Going back from my earliest days of my career, I had... Uh, left college and moved out to Asia with uh, just a few hundred dollars in my pocket uh, to explore the culture, learn uh, Mandarin Chinese and sort of seek out my future. Ended up spending 10 years out there um, throughout Asia and made uh, a lot of contacts that uh, still to this day um, I, I retain and maintain. Um, and after I came back from Asia, I've been involved in software as a service and technology now for, for over 20 years back in the San Francisco Bay Area with a few different companies over these years um, and joined Kintone just about seven years ago, uh, which is a Japanese public company. So I helped start up this uh, U.S. subsidiary company with one of the board of directors of the parent company about seven years ago. And we've been building and growing it ever since. Wow. What an amazing adventure. I was speaking to someone this morning who went to a different city for a project for two months and ended up staying there for 10 years, but going to a whole nother continent, that's uh, with a couple <laughs> of bucks in your pocket. Now that's an adventure. Well, thanks for being with us. Tell us a little bit about Landa. What is it? I'm sorry, Kintone. What is it that the company does? <laughs> yeah, sure. Kintone um, is really a, a digital workplace platform, and it's one of the leading players in what's called the no-code movement, really a movement to democratize software development. Um, and it essentially enables anyone in an organization who has a sort of data and a workflow and a team to manage to be able to create custom software solutions to be able to centralize and manage that work um, because it's all based on a drag and drop capabilities of creating really quite complex software solutions. So it's, it's a digital workplace platform that allows folks to create custom software solutions and then 
manage those operations through pretty uh, significant collaboration tools. So there's a lot there, but you know we can parse that out. But basically, we're democratizing software and improving teamwork. Interesting. First, I started thinking, oh, my goodness, we're going to put 6,000 people of our parent company out of business with this platform. <laughs> Why do you need software engineers if you could do it yourself? But I'm sure it's right. a little bit more than that. So let's go right into the topic. Uh, Carlos, please, let's kick it off. Looking forward to seeing what we can unpack today. Thank you, Tulio. And thanks, of course, Dave, for being with us today. So in case you're uh, wondering, uh, for the viewers out there, what building trust and empowerment through inclusive corporate decision-making and problem-solving involves. That's exactly what we'll be discussing today and on uh, the context of the topic chosen by our guest today. And the topic is systems of inclusion, building trust and empowerment. So, Dave, the first question that I have for you today is why did you choose this particular topic and why did you feel it might be relevant for today's day and age? Thank you. Sure. Well, the, the reason I chose it is it's something that we actually try to do both internally at Kintone uh, within our organization on a, on a very persistent basis, um, but also try to encourage our clients uh, utilizing the Kintone platform to pursue these types of uh, systems of inclusion to build this type of trust and empowerment amongst their team members. We think that having an empowered um, and trusting you know, employee base creates a much greater uh, you know, happiness within an organization, but also much greater productivity uh, amongst team members. And so it's, it's something we think about all the time and we work on methods internally as well as tools to get there. Um, so it's, it's always top of mind when we're thinking about, let's say, our next quarter, thinking about uh, a new solution for a client. Um, it's about information transparency and how that creates systems of inclusion. Thank you so much, uh, Dave. Okay, Tulio, uh, back to you, please. So, Dave, uh, I, I, I'm hearing undertone of the kind of culture where there's openness, um, and also one perhaps that's not traditionally as hierarchical as others. And I'm just curious, you know, Japanese companies are traditionally more structured, more corporate, more hierarchical. That has been uh, historically the trend, you know, more command and control type stru structures. How is this coming out of that environment? What, what's that been like for an organization that... I dare say is very different than the traditional corporate culture in that country. Can you share a little bit about what that journey has been like and how that's been perceived by people who come work there, for example? Yeah, definitely. Very, very insightful question, Tulio. That's a, that's a really interesting point that comes up a lot. So it was the, the, the culture of this organization when I first was introduced to it, uh, you know, almost eight years ago now, um, was fascinating to me because I also understood traditional Japanese corporate culture to be very hierarchical, very command and control. Um, but this parent company is called Saibos of Kintone. Um, and that means cyber kid in Japan, you know, in Japanese. And uh, they have been 
really pushing the envelope for over 20 years in terms of new ideas of modern corporate culture. Um, and so there's been, you know, at times quite a bit of backlash, um, but, but the leadership of this organization has been on like presidential councils in Tokyo uh, about transforming business culture in Japan. And so they've been very much at the cutting edge. Um, and so it was exciting for me to join. Now, having said that, um, it's always a fresh, new, uh, somewhat unsettling experience, I think, for folks who join the company thinking that, you know, this is maybe a traditional um, a traditional command and control hierarchical type organization. Uh, but yet they find out that uh, the focus is constantly on empowering individuals and decentralizing control systems, decentralizing decision-making and problem-solving. Um, and so it is, it is kind of a constant um, re- and re-educating in terms of the, the, the culture here, uh, which to me is very exciting and very interesting. Very interesting. We have a similar culture in the Encore uh, Mexico business unit it takes us almost seven weeks to untrain people sometimes from their previous environments. Uh, I know Carlos has got a question, but before I pass it back to him, I just I have a follow up question to to that that shift that this organization has made, and also the fact that I, I guess they're influencing the culture overall to make that shift. Uh, what's that been like in terms of the folks that come in from the traditional? command and control hierarchical structure and basically having to unlearn some of those things where they, they can just freely be themselves, speak up their mind or, or encouraged to speak up. What's that process been like for some of those employees? And have you have any stories of people that like fast forward two years later have been completely transformed as individuals as a result of this? Yeah. Great, great question. I think for us, it's been really important to, um, develop some regular sort of exercises and, and methods to encourage that transformation um, and have tools in place uh, to be able to constantly reinforce that type of culture we're looking for. Um, and I think, uh, you know, to a certain degree, um, you know, people are coming to our organization because they have a desire to move in this direction. Uh, but there are certainly folks who have come to, to, to the organization who, even though they have a desire to move in that direction, it takes a while to get there. Um, and we do, um, you know, we have, I guess we, we have applications and we have regular meetings and we encourage people to share problems, to raise their hand, identify problems, list them down in an application that's, you know, visible across the, across the company. Um, and then we uh, sort of require leadership to review those problems, review those issues, regardless of how well defined they are. They could be what we call moya moya, which is just like a, something that's kind of bothering you, but it's not exactly clear. It's kind of some sort of cloudy, fuzzy thing that's kind of annoying you or something. Um, mm -hmm. It's called a moya moya in Japanese. But, 
But we, we have these as regular activities uh, to share those issues and then require leadership to uh, review those and address those. And, you know, one of the things is always a challenge is people to feel comfortable sharing issues. Uh, they don't want to be, you know, a problem themselves. Uh, they don't want to, you know, get people's maybe eyes off the ball or um, be known as a complainer. But we are we have to constantly encourage this through sort of um, defined exercises. Um, and and I think it has had uh, over time that impact of saying, yes, you know what? Uh, I share this issue. Other people agree with me. Other people are able to also raise their hands. And then, you know, leadership does address these. And so it's just a reiteration um, of that, that allows people to start transforming themselves in terms of the information they're willing to share. Dave, oh, I got so a, qu a question from the audience after you go. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to bring that up. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Sula. Of course. Yeah. One, uh, before I lose my train of thought, Dave, I'd like to ask you um, about, well, we're discussing uh, building trust and empowerment and i and i can see how easy it would be for uh, a company like kentone to be adopted in certain spaces and verticals like for example technology is just a like a natural a natural environment for mm -hmm. these types of, of of approaches and platforms and tools but when it comes to um let's say uh having a different space or a different industry in mind, like a more traditional uh, type of organization, more that has reminiscent of the industrial area, area that, that kind of thing. Yeah. And my question to you would be, how do you reach out to these people and how do you, uh, let's say, uh, build um, uh, a critical mass of support for, let's call mm. it, for your technology? Or how do you evangelize to them, even to those who might be a little bit um, resistant or adamant towards adopting these new types of approaches, collaborative approaches? Yeah, great, great, great question. There are definitely, you know, very much... Um, Industries that have sort of entrenched interests or, you know, are traditional in, in nature in terms of how they do things. They've been doing it the same way for, you know, hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. um, so this type of transformation can be very scary or, or unsettling. Um, mm -hmm. I think you see that, you know, across the board, lots of organizations, regardless of the industry, are looking toward traditional digital transformation for to become more productive and more efficient. Um, but I think what we're talking about primarily is more like information transformation, right? Mm -hmm. um, not only are you uh, deploying new software to create a more productive workflow and collaboration environment, you're, you're deploying a, a digital workplace where now information itself is going to be much more accessible. Um, and so that is unsettling. And what we generally do in those scenarios is that, you know, Kintone, again, getting back to the core product, it's, it empowers people to create a solution for a particular problem they're dealing with. And so generally what we do is start small. You know, we mm -hmm. have a big philosophical mm -hmm. vision about what we're doing, but what we're trying to do is solve problems for individuals and teams in particular. Um, mm -hmm. And so if we can come in 
and um, really turn around uh, a, a process, a workflow, and make it more transparent, make it more efficient, more productive, more collaborative, then that's a success. And the folks who are involved in that team and in that workflow recognize that. And then people who are maybe on the periphery of this new uh, sort of implementation will be like, oh, I can see how this could work for, for something that I'm struggling with. And so it's usually, you know, kind of call it a land and expand, but we usually will come in, solve a, spe a specific issue, a specific problem that an organization has. And in so doing, this culture of openness and transparency starts to kind of feed on itself. And that that's usually the way it works. Uh, I'll be honest, it's rare that we come in and completely transform an organization from the get-go um, to this sort of information transformation and openness. It's usually a step-by-step -step process. One group, one team, one department with an organization has the vision and sees it. They create a success, which is then sort of copied and replicated throughout the organization. Great. Thank you, Dave. Great. Tulio, back to you with the hey, question, we, please. We have a question from uh, Andrea Klaw, who was a guest of ours, actually, right here on Dojo Live. She's the engineer whisperer. Uh, and her question is on LinkedIn Live, how do you train leadership to listen? Listen to solve a problem and not to deal with a person's issue. Yeah, that's, that's great a great really, question. That's a great question. And... I think just like I'd mentioned earlier about how we try to train all of our team members to be open to sharing their issues, it's repetition. Um, it's establishing a system, establishing applications, you know, software applications that can capture information and require feedback, require hearing. I think I, I want to make one uh, really um uh, clear sort of application uh, example. Talk about decision-making. We've implemented a decision-making application suite internally, which is essentially a process in which our leaders and our decision-makers um, can create an, um, a record of a decision that they're sort of working on. Um, and if it's actually our GM meeting, any decision that's being made at our executive GM meeting, it requires that our GMs enter in this, this decision they're working on, this, this uh, issue, and that anyone in the organization can input their feedback and their opinions on a kind of a separate related app. And so it's, it's sort of a, a process in which the leadership needs to uh, make transparent the decision they're working on. And then anyone on the team who is interested, engaged, has the opportunity, and, and we actually like to say the responsibility, to raise their hand and provide input and feedback on that. And then ultimately, the decision maker re reviews issues and feedback to decision in the record based on the feedback. And so, you know, whoever is sort of in um, agreement with that individual decision maker has some responsibility that, you know, they, they agreed, they think it's a great idea. So it's there on record and anyone who, you know, was against the decision or, or had uh, opposite feelings that that is there and it's a clear record 
And that decision maker needs to respond as to like why, you know, we're going in the other direction or why I hear what you're saying, but this is why we're doing this. So, so we've established that type of process um, and that's a system in place really about inclusion and transparency. Interesting. So that, that also uh, feeds into the other question, which is around, you mentioned about uh, company habits Mm. cultural habits mm. much of what you're talking about requires discipline and requires it becoming a habit the yeah. tools are great but how are you instilling these habits of you know not defaulting to perhaps someone who might be coming into the organization from 20 30 years of being in a traditional hierarchical command and control structure it's easy to revert back to that it only takes minutes to revert back to that yeah. but how do you how are you guys doing about building habits or encouraging habits that that are within the this paradigm that you've created? What's working? Yeah, for us, I think um, primary is regular. We have our regular quarterly meetings, um, call them quarterly impact updates. You know, of course, before COVID, they used to always be in person, um, and we'd always spend one day working on issues, working on problems, um, having separate sessions uh, around these issues and using our framework, utilizing the, the structure that we developed for problem sharing and problem solving. We actually have a term for it called the aspiration engine. Um, and so we would deploy these and we would, you know, teach uh, team members how to facilitate these sessions. Um, and then we would have these sessions on a regular basis. We just had our, our quarterly, we call them Q, our quarterly meetings, quarterly impact updates. And we just had it last week. And we had a number of just great sessions that are facilitated by different leaders. And they don't have to be a departmental leader. It's more of just like a session leader. Um, and so uh, we just do it on a regular basis and we, we put it on the calendar uh, and we bring our team together. And so new people who join uh, have the experience of going through these sessions and understanding, you know, the process and understanding the framework and understanding the outcomes. Dave, we got another question from the audience, again, from, uh, from Andrea McLeod mm -hmm. as well. The question yeah. is, what is the name of the system? So we, we have, I guess, various different systems or methods. Um, so this, this sort of broader problem solving, problem sharing, problem solving um, methodology that we use, we do refer to it as the aspiration engine. Um, we also have you know, something called the motivation model uh, that we work through in terms of bringing together what uh, individuals are able to do and what they want to do, and therefore they should be doing. Um, we have, um, you know, this decision-making process. We actually refer to um, a new a system that we're working on as everyone's a board member. And, and this actually goes back to a pretty revolutionary thing that our parent company did at the end of last year. We transitioned our board of directors from kind of three um, relatively middle-aged to older gentlemen um, to 17 different team members, start ranging from you know 21-year-old just out of college. We went from three males. Now we have, 
I think six or seven females on the board of directors. We went from, uh, you know, a very traditional Japanese board, um, which was something that, you know, had been a, a, a thorn in the side of many people on the team to actually um, the company in Japan that has the most uh, the, you know, the highest female participation on a public company board uh, in one fell swoop. And the underlying concept was we have an incredibly transparent and open organization and, and sort of data uh, platform because everyone on our company uses Kintone, the platform as well. So anyone should be able to sort of audit decisions being made by leadership. So anyone can be uh, a, a board member, essentially. Um, and so we actually kind of put our money where our mouth was and transform our board of directors through this. And now we're building out some solutions internally uh, to encourage anyone beyond just those 17 board members, anyone in the organization to question decisions uh, and, and opine on decision-making processes that we're doing internally. And so that's another sort of system, which is anyone, anyone's a board member. Amazing. I love it. I have to introduce you to the uh, chair of the, uh, the uh, design thinking executive program at the University of California, Riverside. I'm a board member of that because this is the kind of thing that needs to be included in that uh, conversation. Love it. Yeah, and, love and it. It, it, you know, would you say that part of being inclusive, many companies talk about inclusivity, diversity, but it doesn't necessarily deal with the fact that part of being inclusive, inclusive also means allowing people to just be themselves, but also speaking up and speaking their mind freely without fear of uh, retribution, right? I yeah. feel as though without that, you really don't have true inclusivity. And so to achieve that, you kind of have to shift to this model you guys have created what, what's your thought process on that? Because we're talking about how to be more inclusive, how to yeah. empower people, but that requires a bit more than just the action plan towards being inclusive, right? What's, what's your thoughts sure. on that? No, for sure. A absolutely. I mean, it requires, you know, we have this sort of transformation triangle um, that we talk about as well. And, and it requires having methods, having tools, but also having sort of activities or we call them actions. Um, and those three together, actualizations could be, you know, leadership saying we want to be inclusive or having events and activities around it. But you need the tools and you need other methods to be able to bring it all together. And, and we actually, our, our corporate uh, vision is to create a, a society brimming with teamwork. But we have four cultural elements that lead toward that mission. And one is to share a common vision. Uh, but the other ones are to be transparent, is to embrace individuality. And the third one is to be yourself, take responsibility. And so those speak directly to what you're saying, Trulio, that you need to encourage folks to be themselves and 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 embrace that individuality. We we always use the the graphical image of a rock wall. Everyone's a different size and shape, but if you put them all together in the right way and you allow everyone to be themselves, it can be a very powerful thing and a very good fitting, well fitting thing for a team. Um, but but this idea of be yourself, take responsibility is that you have a responsibility to 
ask questions if you have any issue or, or any doubt. And in turn, every leader or anyone who's being asked questions has the responsibility to answer. And I think with those elements in place, uh, that does allow inclusion in a much greater way. And not only that, what we've tried to do is create these systems that empowers people to be part of a decision-making, part of corporate decision-making, part of raising problems up. We encourage everyone to, to take part from their perspective, because again, we value everyone's perspective and their background. They can bring unique inputs and opinions to decisions. They can come from a unique perspective to come up with new problems that maybe other folks didn't see. And we need to value those and really encourage those. Dave, we're approaching the final segment of today's uh, conversation, and but I would I wouldn't want to end it to ask uh, uh, without asking you specifically about <clears throat> the company what what we call the company culture as a whole. Let's say that we have uh, viewers out there who might be I don't know designers or engineers who might want to come work for you at some point. What would you say to these people? that would assure that you only reel in the best of the best in talent? What, what, why do you feel that they should come work for you and what makes it a great company to work for? Yeah, so about uh, 15 years ago, we really uh, started our, our own internal transformation and it was based on a, a kind of a core concept around, you know, 100 different people have 100 different work styles. Um, And that sort of core concept has really been uh, the driving force behind a whole lot of different sort of cultural uh, directions and, uh, frankly, HLCs and approaches to, to managing our, our organization. Um, and so, you know, number one, we're very much on like, the cutting edge of technology with this sort of no-code democratization of software development. Um, it's, it's an amazing space to be in from a technology standpoint, but we're very, I think we're very unique in this particular space with our focus on the culture and tying in how our platform um, really reinforces our cultural focus. And what we're trying to do internally as a team is what we're also trying to do with our our client organizations with our product. Um, and so it's, it's a really exciting um, integration of philosophy and product, which I think comes along, you know, not that often. Um, and it's a very unique place. And, and, and as such, I think a very inspirational and motivational place to work at. Excellent. There you have it. Tulio. Back to you for wrap up, please. We have Andrew's got a bunch more questions, but we're wow. out of time. So I'm going <laughs> to encourage that she connect with you because I think uh, you guys could definitely uh, benefit from that. Uh, thanks for watching, everyone. Just stay with us. Thanks for being with us, Dave, as we go off the air in a minute. Uh, what an interesting conversation, right? How much of a difference can make in terms of uh, having a different kind of culture that truly is more inclusive and empowering. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Carlos, what do we got coming up? We have one more show tomorrow. Well, Tulio, we got work to do, right? And that's exactly the topic for tomorrow's conversation with Anthony Molson, the CEO at, at uh, Project Phoenix. That's the name of the company. And the topic is precisely 
software developers, okay. we've got work to do. So join us tomorrow right here on Dojo Live at 12 p.m. Pacific as usual. And don't miss it. And remember, be safe. And thanks, of course, Dave, for having joined us today on our show, Dojo Live. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Carlos and Tulio. Really appreciate it. It was a fun conversation. See you next time. See you. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com. <laughs>